0: It's good to see you this morning. I cannot tell you how good it is to see you this morning. <laughs> it's been a crazy week. Um, you know, God gives you experiences in life that allows you to sometimes reflect upon things. And earlier this week uh, on Monday, as, as I was realizing, you know, the Mother's Day was coming up, um, I encountered a young lady. Um, she came by our office, just one of those people that drops by. She was in the community. She was running through. She didn't know what else to do. And uh, that, a- that afternoon, I spent a while with her, talking with her, and then found out she was a, a mom who came from, who had four kids. Um, she was only 29 years old, and uh, she had four kids, 12, 9, uh, 5, and 4, or something like that. I can't remember all the names, ages of the kids. Uh, but she had uh, been basically from shelter to shelter for the last year since leaving an abused, uh, abusive situation. And uh, she was from, not from this area, but as she, uh, she came and talked to me, she was trying to get back to Tennessee where her family was and had run out of resources. She had been down in Peoria in a shelter for six weeks. She had lived at other places. And so over that next day and a half, trying to help her get there, it made me aware that, man, her hope was just to get back to a situation in Tennessee to uh, her place where her mom was. Uh, who was an alcoholic and that was the best situation she could think about getting back to and so uh, this this morning I just simply my heart I, I will tell you that we've been talking about prayer and I experienced prayer to the nth degree a uh, Monday night and Tuesday praying for that young lady who I didn't meet till that day uh, for her and her kids um, and how that she was safe I don't know if she made it to Tennessee or not uh, I'm praying that she did uh, but at the same time, I'm just thinking about, you know, what it means to be a mom who takes care of four kids, uh, and, and actually they were homeless for a period of time as well. And so, uh, if you have a place, if you have uh, <laughs> food and shelter, uh, you're blessed. Um, I will not complain <laughs> about anything, even, even the fact that I was in the hospital on Friday night. Um, And I I came the closest I think that a guy can ever experience to what it means to give birth. Uh, uh, I gave birth to a four millimeter kidney stone this morning at 6 a.m. Actually, it started Friday night. And so, uh, somebody, my doctor's here this morning, and he said, What are you doing here? And I said, Well, you know, the medicine's going to, if I'm kind of, if I say some weird stuff, it's because I'm still on weird medicine. Uh, So, But I'm not going to complain about that because I had a a home, I had a place to go to the doctor, I had all those things going on, and I'm going like, you know, man, you just got to have a matter of perspective. And so this week, God has given me some perspective on things, and I hope he's given you some too. We've been talking about prayer, and over the last three weeks, we uh, looked at, this is the third week of a six-week series on prayer. I will sit down, by the way, okay? Um, And uh, we've been talking about this whole thing of prayer, and we, we looked at what we often call the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and it's, uh, it's an interesting prayer because so often we think it's something we're supposed to kind of memorize and, and say, but really Jesus never meant for us to do that because in the prayer, and the preface to it in Matthew 6, we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he talked about this whole thing of, he says, you know, he starts off by talking about something called, he says, you know, when you go into your closet, you're going like, well, can't you just pray anywhere? That, that, that may be true if prayer is just about giving God a list of your dues. But it's more than that. He says, so go to a place where you can get connected with God. It's about time and place. And he says, you know, you can go do it on the go, but that's not what real prayer is all about if you want to, to have real, the effect of prayer. Then he also said that we could be looked at it in Scripture. You can go back to it and listen to the weeks on podcast, or you can go back and read the Scripture yourself. He says, don't spend a lot of time talking about what you want and need. And you're going like, well, what else do you pray about? You know, Uh if I don't pray about what I want and need, what do I pray about? And I, and I shared with you that week that maybe if you ask that question, you're to the point of actually understanding what prayer is really all about. Because then we last week we looked at the prayer where Jesus actually teaches them not what to pray, but how to pray. And he said basically three things in that. And we talked about the last week. He said, first of all, recognize, when you go to God in prayer, recognize who God is. And that's where we talked about in the model prayer. Hallowed be your name. It basically means placing God above everything else and and realizing who he is, who we're talking to. He's not our best buddy. He's God. And then then the second thing he says we're doing in prayer after we recognize who God is is we yield to his will. That's the part of the prayer that says, your kingdom come, your will be done. That it's coming to God in prayer and what the purpose of prayer is, and this is, the, this is the center focus of prayer, is for us to come to a place where we say, God, it's not about my deal, it's about your deal. And then thirdly, the thing he said, finally we come to the place that we kind of like because it's where we declare our dependence upon God, and that's kind of give us today our daily bread. Um, but basically what we looked at the last two weeks is this, prayer is not just about getting stuff, but about connecting with and yielding our will to, God, will, our will to his will. It's about building a personal relationship with God. Prayer is not just this vending machine mentality where we go to God and ask him for stuff and help and ask him to give us stuff. Now today we're going to turn to another passage, and if you have your Bibles this morning, whatever format you have them in, so you, know, you open it up or you, you know, do your little thing with your iPhone or something like that, um, turn to, uh, to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Because in Luke we see another example where Jesus is teaching, kind of the same format, it's obviously at a different time, same format about prayer. And when we look at Luke, let me share just a little thing about Luke. So often we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see are the four, we call them the four Gospels, they're the four stories that tell us about the teachings and the life of Jesus. But the issue is, is that Luke, not all the four Gospel writers were disciples. They weren't direct followers of Jesus, only two of them were. Matthew and John were people who followed Jesus. Mark was the guy who hung out with Peter a lot and heard what Peter had to say. And he basically rep- tells us what Peter had to say about Jesus. And then Luke was, was a doctor, but he was also a historian. And he basically says at the beginning the, of, the, of the Gospel of Luke, he basically says, hey, I have carefully researched this. I have talked to firsthand people, and now I'm telling you what's going on. So that's where we get this from Luke. And so Luke begins to share some things in there. And Luke, in Luke chapter 11, and what we're turning to today, Jesus deals with what's probably our biggest frustration in prayer. When we misunderstand the purpose of prayer. Our biggest frustration is this. Why, when we pray, does God not answer us? Why does he give us what we want, especially when it's things we know are good? When we've prayed for somebody to know Jesus Christ for years, when we're when we going through sickness and we pray for things like that, why doesn't God answer? Why doesn't he answer us as quickly as we'd like for him to? Or maybe we've never seen the answer to that. Why do we have this frustration in prayer? Let me ask you, let's, let's do a survey this morning. Have you ever prayed about something for a long time and it didn't happen? Like my hand's up, okay? Okay? You ever prayed about something and it got worse? That's You understand the frustration in prayer then, because if prayer is just going to God and saying, God, hey, I want this, and he answers it, then we'll be frustrated because it doesn't always happen that way, right? We just, did, just proved it this morning here in our time together in this little survey so Jesus addresses this. He kind of addresses this. And actually, we're going to look, focus on one passage, but there are several passages, but two in particular this morning. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, uh, this is the New Living Translation. It says this, Once Jesus was in a certain place pr- praying. Now, why in the world would Luke talk, start off by saying that Jesus is in a certain place praying? Remember over in Matthew 6 we talked about? Time and place were important. Jesus had places where he got along with God. It wasn't just praying, going down the road. Riding his donkey or whatever he was doing, you know, he was—he had a certain place that he would go to to pray because place and time are important. And it says this: as he finished, as he finished praying, one of his disciples came to him and said, "Lord, teach us how to pray," just as John taught his disciples. And when I look at this, obviously, that Jesus prayed. John was the uh, John the uh, John the Baptist was very prevalent at that time. He had a lot of followers, and John the Baptist was somebody who people knew a lot. And John prayed great, but they're going like, you know. Uh, they saw something in Jesus in his prayer life that was different. And so they wanted him to teach them how to pray. And so Jesus uh, said, then, said, this then is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us this day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation. Amen. And I wonder if the disciples looked at Jesus and going like, hey, Jesus, Jesus, you taught us, you know, kind of a different little bit. It's close, Jesus, but you didn't really pray the Lord's prayer right. You know, I mean, you didn't pray your own prayer right because there's, you didn't tell the whole thing, you got more part of it right, but not the whole thing. And Jesus is basically saying, it's the same format here, but what he's saying, he's saying, wait a minute, you know, it's not about, uh, about repeating this prayer, it's about the direction and the content of our prayer that we don't want you to recite this prayer. Yeah, God, God Jesus is basically saying this, prayer is this, we say, you, you come to God, you say, God, you're great, I want your deal over my deal, and now there's some stuff I need, amen. That's what prayer is all about. That's he's, once again, teaching them how to pray, not what to pray. And then after this, it's interesting, because Jesus could have talked about anything after that, but then what he does is Jesus continues to teach them about prayer by telling them a story. And I wonder if the disciples at this point were going like, come on, Jesus, just tell us to it straight. Because so often he would tell them stories called parables. And what did the disciples do? They'd go like, Jesus, we don't understand what that means. But he would tell them stories because these stories, these parables are stories that have deeper truths than just the the surface. And so he tells them this story. And I don't know about you, but after we read this today, I think you'll be glad that he tells this story because he launches into this discussion about what happens when we don't get what we want in prayer. And if you've ever been frustrated and you raised your hand this morning when I asked if you've ever prayed about something and it didn't happen or it got worse, you have the same frustration in your prayer life because you think thinking it's about, oh, it's, I pray enough, I pray enough, I pray enough, you know, it's, it's just going to, I mean, it's going to happen. But then Jesus teaches two stories, and it and it face value, if we didn't took, if we took all the rest of Scripture and threw it away and just read these stories, we'd be confused, just to be honest with you. Because these stories, by themselves, without the context of everything else we've already taught, in the context of Scripture, that's where you have to look at all Scripture, would be confusing. So let's look at the stories, because they talk about this whole thing of discouragement in prayer. Verse 5, okay, he just taught about the thing about prayer. Then he says, Then, teaching them more about prayer... He used this story. He says this suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanted to borrow three loaves of bread. Now, if any of you come to my house at midnight and want to borrow three loaves of bread, I will be ticked. Number one, you won't find any bread in my house. told you that last week. I'm gluten intolerant, so I can't have bread. Okay? Number two, I am not a night person. If you'd be better off coming to my house at 6 a.m. in the morning, still don't do that. But I'm a morning person. But I don't know if you're a night per- How many of you are night persons? You like to be up late at night. Some of you are night people. I know some of you send me emails. Uh, Kevin Hicks. I get emails from him at like 1 a.m. in the morning. Now, I don't get them at 1 a.m. in the morning because I have Do Not Disturb on my phone turned off, so they don't get that kind of stuff. But I'll get them the next morning. So the deal is, you know, but you know, how many of you would be ticked if somebody came to your house at midnight asking for bread? you'd probably be ticked, and rightly so, right? Okay, especially for the reason that we're about to understand. And the person says, you say to him, this person that comes, to, wants the bread, you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. What friend would show up at midnight? It wouldn't be a friend very long, i tell you that. A friend of mine just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, the person that's in the house now, suppose he calls out from his bed with this person in the house, that you've knocked on their door, want bread from them, and and it's midnight, and the person says, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Now, in our culture, that would be bad enough, but in this culture in that day, it's different because the houses weren't like they were then. Any of you ever been tent camping? Tent camping, okay? Okay. You know how tent camping is. You're all in kind of like, a, if you got a really cool tent, you might have three rooms, but it's still made out of canvas, okay? Or if it's really tent camping, like I grew up with when I was a young kid, we had I have three sisters younger than me, my mom and dad's so six of us. We were in one tent, you know. And so when you, it, it's it's an ordeal getting ready for bed, right? Because you got to get everybody settled down because everybody is kind of like, you know, it's it's everybody disturbs everybody else, and then if. If, if something, you know, just forbid it happening, somebody has to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. You remember what that's like? You try to quietly, you know, sneak out of the tent and crawl over people and stuff. And, and you get out there and, and, you, and you do that kind of deal. And so it's just it's really, well, that's almost like it was in that day because the houses were usually one room, maybe two rooms at best. And you have the whole family kind of sleeping in the room. So if somebody comes and disturbs one person, they disturb everybody in the house. It's not just this one person. And that's why this guy's saying, don't bother me. Not only am I disturbed, but my whole family is disturbed here. And that's kind of the city setting here. So Jesus tells a story. And then he goes on in verse 8, he says, but I tell you this, though he won't, he won't get up for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you want because of your shameless persistence. And you're going like... Okay, in parables, like, like the parable of the prodigal son, you, know, you kind of play your, place yourself in different positions. Okay, Who is me and who is God? Don't you do that. We do that a lot of times. We plot a place, you know, in the parable of the prodigal son, who, who, is, who is you and who is God? Well, you're the prodigal son in that story, and, and God is represented by the Father, the forgiving Father, okay? Makes sense there. The problem if you try to place this same criteria upon this parable, you're going like, okay, ah, I'm the guy knocking on the door, and God must be the guy inside who doesn't want to open the door. You see the problem here, the dilemma here? And then we go over to another passage, which kind of talks about the same thing over in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. And it's this story, and it says this. It starts off, and I'm not going to read all of this, but just basically says, then Jesus used this story to teach his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. And he talks about a judge in a town who is unjust, and this lady comes to this judge, and she's, not, she's a widow, and she can't get her, get, get her anything for herself, and she's in a tough situation and, and the judge refuses her help, and, and, and afterwards he, uh, 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 this lady keeps coming, she keeps coming, she keeps badgering the judge, she does all these things, and finally the judge gives in and gives her something. And you're going like, okay. So it seems to me that if, this, if I take this literally, the meaning is this, if you want something from God, you just keep badgering him enough, and he'll give it to you, Right? If you took just these two stories by themselves, yeah, that's exactly what it seems like. But that's why we have to take all the Scripture in context. That's why I started with the model prayer what Jesus taught about the purpose of prayer. Because the purpose of prayer is not what? Just to get stuff from God. The purpose of prayer is to have a relationship with God where we recognize who he is and we yield to his will. And then we recognize our need and come to him. And in the context of that, I think these stories are teaching us something a little different than just you go and badger God, and you badger God, and you badger God, and God eventually will give in, you know, if you just gotta like be persistent in prayer. So let me share with you, share with you a couple of things, because then at the end of in Luke chapter 11, in verses 9 and 10, it kind of concludes that passage of Scripture, that little story, that first story we talked about, It says this, it says, So I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking the door will be open to you. Uh, For anyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. In the context of everything else, when I look at all the Scripture together and what God is teaching, when Jesus is teaching about prayer in Matthew 6 and the other passages about Scripture, the biggest point of of this is this. Jesus' main point is this. Don't be discouraged in prayer. Because prayer is more than about getting stuff. God is not bothered by our persistence. And so, what does Jesus try to teach us in these two stories? Let me give you three things, real quick, this morning. Um, the first point is this when we look at these two passages together, these two stories, the first thing I see that, that's in both these stories is that people in both stories were desperate, they were desperate to get something. The guy who was at midnight didn't have anything in this house to feed, to feed his friend. The lady who was not getting justice, both of them were desperate. And the first point is this. We will only become men and women of prayer when we recognize our desperate need. We will only become men and women of prayer when we recognize our desperate need. The problem is we live in a society that's based on something called humanism. You know what humanism is? Humanism means that I'm the master of my own fate. That I'm in control, I'm in charge, and if I do it, work hard enough, and I do hard enough, I will get ahead. But you know that's the antithesis to prayer? Because prayer is not about meeting our own needs. Prayer is about, remember once again, declaring our dependence upon God and yielding to His will. And what we do in prayer persistently, and what the, the thing that needs to be changed in prayer is not God's mind, it's whose mind? We're the ones. Is God, does God know what he's doing? Yeah, I believe he does. That's the kind of God I, I, I serve and uh, believe in. It's the God who knows all things. He's all-knowing. Not just knowledge, but he knows what's right and perfect every time. See, prayer forces us to admit our spiritual inability. And so in this story, and taking the context of this story, the first thing I think we learned, the first lesson, is until we recognize our need, we will never understand the power of prayer. But God doesn't want us to give up. We need to be persistent in prayer. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. And God will give us, it doesn't say what we, it says kind of what we want, but in the context of what it talks about, it's what we need. God will give us what we need. The second point I see in this as well is this. Prayer is a battle. Prayer is a battle. It's, it's so often, we generally treat prayer like a vending machine. You know, God, I'm dollar dial a prayer, answer my prayer. And when he doesn't do it, we become frustrated, right? But prayer is a battle, but it's a battle of wills. It's a battle of wills. In these two stories, it's a battle of wills between the guy that's in the house who doesn't want to give the bread and the guy who wants to get the bread. It's this battle of wills. Who's gonna, you know, who's gonna, it's a battle of wills. In the second story, this, the story of the judge and, and the lady, uh, the, this, it's a battle of wills between the two. Prayer is a battle of We talked about this last week in a real sense, too, because in the garden, you see, prayer is, is a battle of wills. Who are we going to yield our will to? Even Jesus struggled with this. Because in the garden, we talked about this last week, in the garden of Gethsemane, the thing is, is that Jesus had this long, drawn-out, overnight prayer, and the reason it took so long, we would think that if anybody was totally God's will, it would be Jesus, right? That's, just, that's a given in my, in my book. But the reality was, the reality was Jesus agonized in prayer, and the reason was he was trying to align himself, his will, with God's will, the Father's will. Uh, in Luke 22:44, it says, He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. It's talking about the intensity of his prayer. And the reason it finally started off because at the beginning of this prayer is it was getting ready to go to the cross, remember, right before this. I mean, right before it went to the cross, he was in the garden, he was praying, and he was going, Father, if this cup can pass from me, if you could do something else, if you can have a plan B, other than me going to the cross, can you make it so? But then at the end of the prayer, at the time in the garden, what, what, what did Jesus say? He says, no, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And so this, this battle of the wills goes on in prayer life. And so as we look at this, one of the reasons it's a struggle for us, and one of the reasons we get frustrated in prayer, and one of the reasons we give up so often is because we think that prayer is about getting our prayers answered right away. And you know, let me tell you something about most battles are not won quickly if it's a real battle. Personally, I've understood this many times in life, and I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, last week, a couple of weeks ago, about, you know, this decision a few years ago, about 14, 15 years ago, when I was decided to write directional change in ministry. July 1st of this year, I've been here 13 years at Great Oaks, coming into this community, moving to the Midwest and the East Coast, and and doing all these things. And, and before we let, one of the things I did I shared with you is that I, I went up on a uh, mountain and spent a, uh, like three different periods of three days uh, praying and, and fo- focusing on God. But I didn't tell you about the other thing I did. And we're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. But the other thing I did is that I went to the thing, I started praying and fasting. You know what fasting is? You probably heard of fasting uh, from a physical standpoint. It means not eating food, basically. But fasting has a spiritual element, and really fasting was started in Scripture, not, not because of physical issues, but because of spiritual issues. And we're going to look at this. There were tons of place, times in Scripture where people would come to God, and they would be struggling with an issue. And so what they would do is they would, fasting from a spiritual standpoint, what we're going to talk about is where you abstain from, say, food for a period of time, you still drink and eat certain things, or you can't eat things out, or, Full fast, full fast are basically just liquids, and you've got to be careful. Go to your doctor if you have an issue with that. But, uh, but I'll tell you, uh, but the issue is, is that you go for a period of time, not just to abstain from food. The purpose is not just simply to do that. The purpose is to free up time in your life where when you would be eating, we'll do one of these other things, you spend time connecting with God, praying. And so I began this, this process many, many years ago, about 14 years ago. Well, actually, it's about six months before I came to Great Oak's. We really struggled with this. We'd gone through this time. We're getting direction for God. And we were asking. My wife and I were praying about this and the direction God wanted us to go. Great exciting coming on, on the radar at that point. And, uh, and I'll just tell you, it was a struggle. And I came to a place to say, God, I just, I just want to know what you want us to do. And so I began a process. And what I did is that I said, God, I'm going to fast and pray until you give me direction. Now, you think that wouldn't be very long. Because I've been on a mountain three different times praying and, with God, but I ended up fasting for two weeks. I've never done anything like that since or, or, or anything. I basically liquid and whatever, didn't do much exercise, spent a lot, a lot of time in prayer. And the reason it was two weeks, because on day 13, finally, God just gave me a piece about where the direction, and at that point I said, God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Up to that point, it had been anywhere south of where we were. Because we really don't, my wife and I, neither one of us like cold. And I hate to tell you this, this is not warmer place than Virginia was, okay? South meant Florida, you know, or at least Atlanta or somewhere like that, you know. And until we said God, you know, and until we can't, and, and after that 13th day of, Prayed and fasting and struggling with my will versus God's will. This battle of the wills going on. Finally, God gave me peace in that. And so we, we said, God will do it. And within a few weeks, I shared before, you know, God opened the door here. And, and it, over the next few months, it didn't take long, we were here. But the second thing I see here, this whole thing of persistence in prayer, don't giving up, is it's a battle of wills. And the reason stuff may take a long time is because you're not ready for God's answer. See, most battles are not won quickly. And finally, finally this: prayer is a matter of faith. Prayer is a matter of faith as well. You know sometimes prayer prayer is taking God at His word, understanding God's promise. if we pray, it's going to work, but it may not, it may not work on our schedule. So I want to conclude by just telling you the story I told you 10 years ago, and I'm sure all of you remember this. Actually, somebody told me they actually remembered this uh, in, in our th- this morning at our t- um, worship team. But, 20, uh, but uh, about, uh, I forgot how many years ago this was now. It's a long time ago. Uh, in my church in Virginia, when I was a pastor there for 13 years, the magic number is not 13, by the way, it just had to be 13 there, 13 here, so, um, is during the first few years I was there, uh, I encountered this lady, her name is Greta. Greta is the most, Greta is, she was already an elderly woman when I met her. Well, she was probably like my age now when I met her. But at that time, I thought she was elderly, okay? You know, so it's better perspective. And, um, but the the thing I remember, I I still stay in connection with Greta. She's still alive. But um, she's the only person from my previous church I stay in connection with. And, And one of the reasons I do is because Greta is the greatest prayer warrior if she's not number one on the list, she's in the top ten in the world. Okay? That's how much I feel about Greta. And Greta shared with me that every time we would meet and we'd have, for some meeting or something, we have prayer time, Greta prayed for the same stuff. She prayed, number one, for the salvation of her kids. She said she started praying for her son when he was, you know, born. But the reality was is that for when he was around 19, 18, 19 years old, something happened in the life of the church that they were in, and he had, she had brought him to church, and he grew up in the church, and he pushed away from church and never went back. And now it was 20 years later. He was almost 40 years old, and she had been praying for him consistently for 40 years. How many of you want to pray for something for 40 years before it happens? And the reason I say 40 years is because eventually, eventually Chet, I got, Chet was, is her son's name, most incredible musician you've ever met. He was named after Chet Atkins, if you know who he is, if those of you who are old enough and know country music. Um, but Chet, I met Chet, nicest guy in the world. He became a good friend and but Greta had prayed for his salvation, for him coming to Christ and giving himself to Christ for 40 years of her life. And I got the joy one day of actually baptizing him and seeing him make a profession of faith and following through. But you know what Greta said after all that was over with? She said this, she said, and I wrote this down years ago because I thought it was so good. She says, Greta said, I knew that God was faithful even if I never got the answer that I wanted in my life. I mean, so often we get, yeah, God, I, I, I'm faithful. I can follow you because I see answers to prayer. But what if God never answers the prayer you want him to? Do you believe that God is capable of answering and is directing something and doing things in people's lives? See, it's about not giving up. The lesson is this. We must keep on praying even when we cannot see what, what God is doing because God is Faithful. And the only way that we'll ever in our prayer life get to that point where we do that, it's not about having a list of going and asking God for stuff. It's about coming to God, declaring his glory. It's about coming to God, yielding our will to his will. It's about coming to God and saying, okay, God, after I do all those things, I declare my dependence upon you. That's the only way that prayer becomes consistent and the only way we stick with God after all the stuff that goes on in our life. Basically, Jesus is telling us, don't give up. That's the point of these two stories. Don't give up. Somewhere along the way over the years, I I write down quotes and stuff, and I never could not figure out where this came from, but I love it. It says, The greatest blessing of prayer is not in receiving an answer, but rather in being the kind of person God can trust with the answer. Think about that. You know, If God never answered your prayer exactly the way you want it to be, can you still trust him? And maybe the reason God's not answering prayers in certain areas of your life is because he can't trust you with the answer yet. Augustine said this. He said, Augustine, St. Augustine, many years ago, a great theologian said, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Why is it then that we have such a problem in praying to the one um, who can bring meaning to our lives? It's because sometimes I think we pray wrong. Prayer is about building a personal, intimate, close relationship with God where we can trust him even in times of discouragement. Even in times we don't see all the answers that we want to have. One of my refrigerator verses, I call them refrigerator verses, things that I put on there that that I want to remember is is Hebrews uh, 4.16 that says this, draw near, draw near. Let us then approach God with, uh, 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 draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. David Jeremiah wrote a book called The Prayer of the Great Adventure, and in it he quotes this, and I want to end with this. And he writes very eloquently. I'm very simple. He's very eloquent. He says this, There will always be discouragement without prayer. Discouragement follows prayerlessness like winter follows fall. But when we choose to continue praying, even though a long and barren winter, eventually spring arrives and with it new life. And at that point, discouragement has no choice but to find somewhere else to live. Are you discouraged in prayer? Maybe it's because you think of prayer as just a to-do list. But when you begin to understand what prayer really is, and it's about building a relationship with God and trust, about yielding your will to him, God will change your perspective on everything. Next week, we're going to look at a passage in John 17, which is probably the greatest prayer ever prayed. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed right before he went to the cross. And guess what? He not only prayed for himself, he not only prayed for his disciples in that day, but he prayed for you in that prayer. You go, how can he pray for me? Just just read it. I challenge you to read it this week, okay? Because God is going to work through this, and and, and I believe that God wants to work through prayer if we'll just seek him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, of our mind, all our strength. And we'll just learn to trust him because that's what prayer is all about. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. We pray that you would just allow us this day to be connected with you in such a way that we wouldn't simply just uh, be asking you for stuff. But before, way before we get to stuff, God, what we do is we come to you and we recognize who we're praying to, the God of the universe, the maker of all things, the Father, the, the perfect Father, the, the person who, who, who has given us everything the person who is, the, the, the being who has done everything for us, God, who were made in, in your image, and God, we're such an imperfect representation of your image so often. And God, as we come to you, may we yield ourselves to you in prayer, realizing that because of who you are, God, it would be foolish to do anything else. It'd be foolish to do it our own way, because our own way is always going to be second best. Because we are not you, God. And so yielding to your will well, that enables us to live more like you would want us to live, the way you designed us to live, God, in a, in a relationship of trust. But it means, God, sometimes in a broken world that we see things, and God, because you also allow us to make decisions and other people to make decisions about you, God, oftentimes we're discouraged. And as we've looked at these parables this morning, these two stories that you teach in Scripture Sometimes we get the wrong impression that God, you know, we come to you and we just badger you and we keep asking, 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 and finally you will kind of give in like we do with our kids sometimes, which is probably not the best way to do either. But God, we would pray that we would be the people who would understand that in the process, God, sometimes we discover your will, but sometimes, God, you change who we are so that we can be people ready for the answer. And so God, it's this day, God, as we go our separate ways, that we will not simply just just go through the motions this week of praying, praying dinner prayers and, and, you know, and, and, and bedtime prayers, even though that's good with kids and stuff, but that we'll have times where we get alone and enter our closet, maybe literally, maybe figuratively, but to find some place where we can be with you alone, God, and spend time in a relationship with you, getting to know you better by opening your word, reading it, and asking ourselves the question, what is it you're trying to teach us, God? What are you trying to want us to apply to our life that you've already given to us here? And through prayer, God, that we would come to an understanding and a peace that comes um, only through that relationship with you. Guide us, God, in all these things. May we just honor you with this. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.